would turn with me uh, this morning in God's Word to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter number 20. And so we're going into the last judgment. This is what we're getting ready to open up here. Revelation chapter 20 is going to be the last judgment of all history, all mankind. This is going to be the, the very end of it. All right, this is the last doom. There are seven dooms or pronouncements of doom upon uh, different areas. And this will be upon the unbelieving dead. All right, this will be the last doom, the final doom. Give you a couple things to think about where we are in Scripture. When we come to Revelation chapter 20, the tribulation period, the seven-year tribulation period has already expired. We're at the end of that seven-year tribulation period. And when we come to the end of, of that, we know Christ came back in the second coming. We had the battle of Armageddon. Then we have the beast, which is the Antichrist, the false prophet, has been cast alive into the lake of fire. We see the doom of the kings. And then the Lord, he takes, uh, the angel takes Satan, who's the only enemy left, and he takes him and he places him within the bottomless pit. And there he is confined for a thousand years when Christ sets up his millennial kingdom, the kingdom age, the golden age. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, let's just say the disciples' prayer, we say, thy kingdom come. That's what we're praying about is this thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. And so that'll be a thousand years. And at, after that, we'll be, which we'll come back to at a later date, for those of you who've been with us through this study, we'll go back and look at Gog and Magog, and then we'll look at the doom of Satan, which he is cast also into the lake of fire, which will be his eternal destiny. And then we come to the, so all the enemies been eradicated. Now we come to the last and final judgment when we open up in chapter 20, and then we're going to go 21, 22. We're going to be talking about the new heaven and the new earth. We're going to get into a separate set of seven, which will be seven new things. We're talking about a new heaven and a new earth. But before we do that, we're going to have this last judgment. So if you would look with me in verse number 11, and John, the revelator, is saying, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whom, whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was no place found for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the deep and the dead, excuse me, were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to the works. Verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to the works. Now listen, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So let's jump into this. There's a couple terrible things I want to share with you about this last and final judgment. Remember, this is a judgment for the unbelieving dead. All the unsaved of all mankind will have to face Christ as final judge. Their ultimate destiny will be in the lake of fire. So let's talk about the first thing, which is a terrible fact. 
The Bible says it'll be, he saw a great white throne. Remember, this will be the last of the doomed judgments. All of those seven judgments, we have the pronouncement of judgment upon the false prophet, the beast, Satan, those unbelieving uh, kings, and then Armageddon and so forth. So in fact, this is the last of all judgments. Now it says several things. It's a great white throne. Great speaks of its scope and the immensity of this judgment. It means extreme large scale or extent of something. So every person, this is going to be a second resurrection. If we go back to Revelation chapter uh, number 20 in the earlier part, we know there's going to be a second resurrection. That second resurrection has to do with the unbelieving dead that comprise of all mankind. And so since the beginning of human history, every single solitary person who has died without Christ will be here facing the Lord Jesus Christ as the final judge. And this will not be a judgment based upon the fact whether they're saved or not. We already know they're lost. And it will not be a time of rebuttal. It will not be a time of appeal. It will not be like what we think about a regular courtroom to where you can appeal it and change the judge's mind or where there will be a jury. No, all the judgments are already going to be pronounced and so if you're here today and you're not saved and you don't trust Christ as your personal Lord and Savior before you leave this earth, then you will be one day at the great white throne judgment. This will be a judgment for all the lost. So it speaks of its scope and immensity. You can imagine all the lost of all mankind lined up to face the judge of all the universe. Next, it says it's white. It's a great white throne. It's white because it symbolizes truth. Uh, Christ said he, he's the, the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He's holiness. The Bible says God is holy. And then it's righteousness. God, all, God will do right. He will always do right. So there shall be a second resurrection, and the unsaved will be raised and will stand before God's judgment. Folks, there's a great day coming, a great judgment day coming. And the Bible says that him that sat on it, talking about that great white throne, this is the judge. Now you've got two choices in this life. You can meet Christ, number one, as Savior, and he can be your Savior today and right now in this church age, in the age of grace. We can know him as Savior but if you reject him as Savior, you'll face him one day, not as a Savior, not the lowly lamb, but the judge of all the earth. He'll be he'll set as your judge and not your Savior. The Bible says, as he sat there on that throne, the Bible uses the terminology, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was no, there was, and there was found no place for them. Now you've got to think about this. It says the earth and the heaven done what? Fled away. What does the earth provide us with? Well, we have shelters. We have mountains. We have caves. We have crevices. We have uh, caverns. And all these places are places that people can go and hide. But I'm here to tell you that you can't hide from God. Amen. You can't hide from God. There's no place that you can go right now on the earth that God is not already at. God's already there. He's omnipresent. You can't hide anything from God. God's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. 
You can't hide anything from God. God's, he knows all, sees all, and knows the thoughts and intents of man's heart. He knows even your thoughts and your motives. So there's nowhere you can hide. But here, the Bible says that heaven itself, the atmosphere, and the earth, that we see the land and so forth, because there's going to be a new heaven and a new what? Earth. So it's the old ones fled away gives us the idea that there's nowhere this entire planet that anybody can hide. You can run, but you can't hide from God. The Bible said, or here, one of the commentators mentioned, many assume that at this point that earth and its atmosphere are burned up and destroyed by fire. At some point, this whole present earth will be renovated by fire. That's 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. You need to look around every once in a while, look at your house, look at the houses in the community, look at, uh, if you want to, any money you may have, any property you may have, any material possessions that you may have, and you need to remind yourself, Christian friend, and non-Christian friend, that one of these days it's all going to burn up. Amen. It's all going to be renovated by fire. It's all going to be destroyed. And so when you keep that in mind, it really changes your priorities on what you think is important in life. The material possessions and money and politics and everything else is not what's all important in the world. It's what you've done with Jesus Christ. And Him alone will ultimately last. That's the reason the Bible says to lay yourselves up treasures in heaven where moth and dust doth not corrupt because everything else is going to be taken away. It's going to be burnt up. It's going to be dissolved with fervent heat. It's, it is not going to be lasting. It's temporal. So the reason I mentioned this about the heaven and the earth fled away, I wrote this down. There will be no cave, no closet, nor no crevice that anybody can hide from God in the last judgment. The Bible says in Romans 3.19, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. I want to mention and remind you again as I remind you often, when you die, it deletes all future opportunities to make any decisions for Christ. When you die, it deletes all future opportunities for you to change your mind or to repent at that point. So if you're going to do something for Christ, if you're going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, as the Bible says, you must do it while you are alive. Amen. Amen. So what about people who die? Well, those who die without Christ go, the Bible says, to a place called hell. You can say, I don't believe in the afterlife. It makes no difference to me. Because it, it's irrelevant whether anybody believes it or not because the Bible says it's true. The Bible says let God be true and every man a liar. So it, it is going to be an afterlife 
And there's only two places to go according to the Word of God, heaven or hell. It's just that simple. There are no in-betweens. There's no purgatory. There's no motel between here and hell. There's no stopping point. There's no holding tank to where you can change your mind and people can pray you out. And there, no, it's, it's too late. It's too late. So that's the terrible fact. Great white throne judgment. All unsaved of all time. The second one is the terrible figure. We say two things about that. There's a set time. There's a set time for this judgment. God's wheels work. They grind slow, but they grind sure. So even though this hasn't transpired yet, it will. There's going to be a set time. The Bible says in Acts 17, 31, because he hath appointed a day. He's appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom hath, he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men that he hath raised him from the dead. Now, who's been raised from the dead? Jesus Christ. Amen. Who's going to be the judge? Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9.27. It is appointed. You have an appointment. I have an appointment. And that appointment is to be judged by God. You can either be in the judgment seat of Christ to be judged according to your works, not your salvation, or you can have, or you can be at the great white throne judgment and facing for your sin. So it says here's appointed. We all have an appointment. I guarantee you're going to keep it. You're not going to be able to cancel it. You're not going to be able to change it or procrastinate and put it off to a later time. No, there's an appointed time. It's appointed unto men once to die. Die once. And after this, the judgment. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.13, <coughs> it says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifested in any sight. Listen, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. It means one day will each and every one of us, I guarantee you, according to the word of God, each and every person will face God personally by themselves. Your spouse won't be there. Your mommy, your daddy's not going to be there. Your uncle's not going to be there. Your neighbor's not going to be there. Your best friend's not going to be there. No, it's going to be you and God. And you're going to give an account of yourself. Now, I would rather be in the judgment seat of Christ because my sins, if you're saved, your sins were judged for at Calvary, never to be held against you anymore, you're forgiven. But if you face over here the great white throne, you are appointed to be condemned according to your sins that you never repented of. And it says that in God's sight, we'll stand before him naked, manifest before him, open unto the eyes of whom we have to do it. It means that God sees right through me and he sees right through you. You know, people try to use a lot of excuses that are not going to stand at the judgment. They're not going to stand. There's people that blame, say, well, there's a lot of hypocrites in church, and therefore I don't go. Well, that may sound good. It may make you feel good. You may have a valid argument. But that's not going to stand and be an excuse at the great white throne judgment. You say people's done me wrong. That will not be an excuse of the great white throne judgment because as I mentioned again, in the great white throne, it's you and God. It's not me and God and somebody done me wrong. 
It's like me and God and, and a couple hypocrites. It's like me and God and a bunch of excuses. It's me and God looking straight through me and seeing who I really am with my motives and what I've done uh, in this life. There is no way to hide. There is nowhere to hide. God sees right through it. And, you know, I've been a pastor for a while, and I'll tell you one of the greatest mission fields that we have is in our congregations. Let me say that again. Our, one of our greatest mission fields are within our congregations and those who comprise and come to church on a regular basis. And they think, well, I've been pretty good. I've done good works. I, I'm, I'm coming to church and giving God a little time. And maybe your name's on the church roll somewhere, right? Maybe you've, you've perhaps even been baptized. You've got a little religion. You're a good moral person. That is irrelevant when it comes to whether or not you're going to be at the great white throne. Amen. You can be a good morally, a moral person, pay your bills, pay your taxes, be a good upstanding citizen. You never cuss, don't smoke or chew or run with those who do, right? And do everything right. But if you're not saved, you say, I've been baptized, capsized, frontwards, backwards until the tadpoles memorized the social security number. I've shook the preacher's hand. I've agreed to a creed. No, you better make sure down deep in your heart of hearts that you're truly saved. That's nothing to play around with. That's nothing. I'm amazed. I marvel at people that say, well, I, I'm pretty sure I'm saved. You need to reach up and feel your pulse. Are you pretty sure you're alive right now? Or are you just guessing at it? That's nothing to play around with. That's your eternal, everlasting soul that will never die. Did you hear what I said? Your eternal, everlasting soul that will never die. I've asked people before, I said, is your spouse saved? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know your spouse is saved? You say, do you love them? Do you truly love them? You say, well, I'm afraid to ask them. They may be offended. Well, I'd rather for somebody to be offended in this life than to spend an eternity in the lake of fire. Amen. You offend them about everything else? Why is that Paul? I just don't want to offend them. Well, let me tell you something. The gospel's offensive. The gospel gets in your face. <laughs> the gospel's confrontational. The gospel sees you who for you really are. Hey, I remember when I was a sinner and the preacher and the pastor would get up to preach. And I would think to myself, he didn't even know me. And I thought, who's talked to him? Sometimes people will say, has my spouse been talking to you? Have you been following me around all week? No. I believe what Dr. Agent Rogers said. He said, I was shooting down in a blind hole. And if you got hit, you were down in there. I can't help it. And by the way, if you throw a rock in a pack of dogs, the one that yelped is the one that hit. Preacher, you stepped on my toes. Well, get your toes out of the way. I was trying to reach your heart. I would. I, I tell you what, you plug nickel for a pastor to step on my toes. Made me a little uncomfortable. Made me squirm a little bit. Uh, that's good for you. Healthy for you. I love what I do. All right. It's a set time. They're going to be. It's appointed of you. You have an appointment that you're going to keep. That I'm going to keep. And you're going to give an account. The next one is the setting judge. Who's going to be the judge? The Bible says, neither, Hebrews 4.13, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of whom we have to do. 
John 5, 22. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment to the Son. John 2, 24 to 25. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men. He knew all men. You say, well, I've done something and God knows my heart. You're exactly right. He sure does. <laughs> we try to get people to use that as a cop-out. Well, God knows my heart. You're absolutely right. He sure does. You better make sure you're right. He knew all men. He didn't need somebody to commit himself and tell him what, what was inside man. The Bible says in verse 25, he needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Let's talk about the terrible fellowship, the prisoners. Look at verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, no one escapes, poor, rich, political, <laughs> powerful, unpowerful, they're all. Now this statement right here ought to scare the wooden boogers out of every one of us. These three words. Stand before God. Stand before God. And the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the book according to the works. Number three, the terrible fellowship. No one will be able to escape this judgment. It'll be small and great. The Bible says in Hebrews 2, 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Two things are certain, death and judgment. Mark her down. Two things are certain, death and judgment. God is no respecter of persons. Men of wealth, men of politics, men of powerful positions will all stand before God, rich and powerful, poor, desolate, makes no difference. They'll stand before God. I want you to think about that for a minute. <clears throat> if that doesn't strike fear in you, I don't know what will. You and God. You and God. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is what? Death. We think about wages. We think about a job. We think about earning a paycheck. We're earning wages. We're accumulating money, which is a good thing, right? We're accumulating our paychecks. We're getting our wages. When you're not saved. You are accumulating wages of sin that will accumulate and stack up until you die, and you will give an account. All the laws will give an account of all the wages of sin that they have committed. Because when you're saved, aren't you forgiven and all that is taken away when you're saved? So you don't have to, God took, he took it upon himself on the cross. Jesus Christ took our sin wages. He took the burden of sin and was placed on him at the cross and he paid for that you see, Christ, he paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin left a crimson stain. Jesus washed me white in the snow. So we've got an accumulated wage. If someone goes through this life, and each sin they commit, 
They're earning a wage. That one day at the great white throne, God will judge them according to the works and the accumulation of all those sins. See, sin must be paid for. No one's ever sinned and gotten away with it. So somewhere, you're going to have to pay for it. You can either let Christ, which is he's already paid for it, take it away from you, or either you'll have to give an account of it yourself. The next one is Matthew 7, 21. Here's what Christ said in his earthly ministry. Not everyone that's not everyone that saith, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Hey, the religious, they call him Lord. Lord, Lord. They shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. But listen, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. The Bible still teaches that it's not the majority of people that will go to heaven. It is the minority of people that will go to heaven. Because the Bible says, because this is Christ's words, but straight is the gate and narrow is the way. Not broad. Broad way leads to destruction. That leadeth unto life, and few be there that find it. Let's move on to the next thing. Matthew 7, 22 and 23. Many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils? You say, well, I know something done exorcism. So what? And in thy name have cast out devils. And have in thy name done many wonderful works. Listen to that verse again, that phrase. And in thy name done many wonderful works. We built synagogues and buildings and ministries. We've done many marvelous works. And then I will profess unto them. These are the saddest words. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Amen. Bible talks about blind guides. It says that the blind lead the blind, shall not both fall in the ditch. <laughs> blind guides. Nat strainers and camel swallowers. Matthew chapter 10 verses 14 and 15. Whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart out of the house of city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in that day of judgment than for that city. These are those who rejected the truth. <clears throat> what about those who rejected Christ? John 12, 48. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words shall one that judgeth him. Hath one that judgeth him. Listen. The words I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last days. There will be several books in which the lost person will be judged by. Let's look at the next thing. This is the terrible findings. One day, the great white throne Sinners will be judged, number one, by this book, the Word of God. The book will be open, and it will be this book, the Word of God. You say, I don't know the Word of God. You best be learning. Next time you get pulled over, you tell the police officer, you didn't go to law school, you don't understand everything, and see how good that worked for you. God, that's that, we're inexcusable. This may seem a little blunt, but if you can read, right here it is. And if you can't read, some will be provided for you <laughs> to read it to you. we got technology today. You can listen.
the Word of God, you can hear the Word of God. There's, it, man is without excuse. Without excuse. And will be inexcusable. Will be judged according, they, the laws be judged according to the Word of God. Next will be a record of deeds. This is where it's talking about the works, this accumulated wages, and this will be the record of deeds. There will be a book containing the works of the sinner being judged. Every lie, every deceitful thing you do not say. In other words, let me put it this way. Christ's words, Matthew 12, 36. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give them account there of the day of judgment. That's the accumulated wages of every word, every action, every motive of someone who is unsaved will give an account. Next is the Lamb's Book of Life. Next it says those that, names that were not found in the Lamb's Book of Life. Now your name may be on a poster somewhere, it may be in a book somewhere, it may be on a church roll somewhere. But I'd make double, triple, quadruple short is in the land book of life. Because that's what's going to matter. Only true believers are recorded in the Lamb's book of life. Now there are a lot of Bible commentators that, and you can go off and study this for yourself, and it does seem to be some validity to it, that this record of deeds that is open, that will accumulate all the sinner's wages, will determine the degree of punishment in hell. There's a couple verses you can go off and study. We'll talk more about that in a future sermon. Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 through 24. Luke chapter 12, verses 47 and 48. And then we see in Revelation chapter 21, verse number 8, the Bible says, But the fearful, now listen to this next one. And these are going to be the people that comprise hell, most of the people. Fearful, unbelieving. What's the one sin? What is the, the sin? The sins are not going to send you to hell. It's the sin of unbelief that will send you to hell. The unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Let's look at the lastly, very briefly, the terrible future. What happens after this, after he says, depart from me, I never knew you, and what's going to happen at that point? The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 1, 9, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. The most terrible things about being cast into hell is not, man, you got the torture, the, the fire, the darkness, the occupants of hell, the devil, the false prophet, the Antichrist, all them perverts and liars and whoremongers and comprise hells that spoke about. But it says, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord? See, right now, you, you may say, well, I got it rough. You may hate God. You may hate him, but listen, you're still in an environment where you're under the umbrella of his presence. Think about being banished totally, completely out of the presence of the Lord. You say, well, for example, think about pain. You ever been in pain? Thank God that God right here in this life has mercy, 
hey, God's gave uh, doctors and surgeons and, and uh, nurses wisdom, medications to ease the pain. But in hell, away from the presence of God, there is no mercy. There is no grace. There is no pain relief. There is no doctors, medicines, nothing of that sort. Totally banished from the presence of the Lord. The last verse I want to share with you is Matthew 25, 41. This is the words of Christ. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared the devil and his angels. Hell was never intended for you. It was never intended for me. It was never intended for anyone who's ever lived. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. And if someone goes there, they've done it because they rejected Christ and because there's nowhere else to go. So today, would you stand with me in time of invitation? There is, as the Bible said, thou art inexcusable, O man. There will be no excuse at the judgment. This great white throne deals particularly with the judgment of sinners. All the unbelieving, the unbelieving dead of all mankind. It would categorize all the lost that have lived throughout all the ages. From the beginning of human history and going on. So if you're here today and you're not saved, and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you've never repented of your sins and trusted Him, Unless you change something in this life, unless you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved, unless you repent of your sins and turn to Christ and away from your wicked ways, you may not agree with it, you may not like it, you may disagree with it, but I'm here to tell you as an honest gospel Bible preaching preacher that listen, you'll be at the great white throne to give an account of every single solitary sin wage you have earned. I had accumulated a large sin wage when I was up until I was 20 years of age. Boy, in that short amount of time, boy, I accumulated a lot of wages of sin. And I read the Word of God, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no excuse, no reason that I can think of or fathom, whether it be pride, anything that would make me change my mind about Christ and the decision I made one day to repent of my sins and be saved for it's everlasting eternity too late. And now we'll have to face God with those sins. He's forgiven me. So with heads bowed, eyes closed, I want to look around and I can come to you and embarrass you. But I want to give you an opportunity if you've never been saved, you're in the sound of my voice. I'm not going to embarrass you, point you out. I just want to know how to pray for you more effectively. And if you're like that here today, you say, Pastor, listen, I, I, it doesn't matter if you've come to church, you attend church, you're religious. All oh, that's irrelevant. I mean, that's great in itself, but it's not to get you to heaven. And you just be honest. God is saying, an honest man, an honest woman. To just say, I'm, I'm not saved in my heart of hearts. I don't have the peace, the past, it's all understanding. With heads bowed, eyes closed, just me and the Lord looking. Don't let pride stop you. I'm going to scan across the congregation. 
And if you're not saved, would you raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm not saved. I see a hand there. Would you put it down? Would there be another? Preacher, pray for me in my heart of hearts. I'm not saved. And if I was to die right now, I can't say with full assurance I'd be in heaven. You can have that assurance today. I'll scan one more time. Do you know him? Do you know him? But more importantly, does he know you? Will he say, I never knew you? Real quick, would you slip it up and write back down? I want to raise your hand this morning. Would it be another? Preacher, pray for me. I'm not saved. If I was to die right now, I'm not sure I'd be in heaven. Preacher, pray for me. What about Christians? Maybe this morning reminded you of how we ought to live a life that is pleasing unto the Lord. Although you won't be, thank God, you won't be at this great white throne and be saved. You won't have to give an account for your sin. Maybe today you just like to raise your hand and say, Thank you, Lord, for salvation. Hands going up all across, thankful for salvation. We don't have to give an account for all those wages. We give an account according to our works, but not our wages. Now, with Christians, very sensitive to those around you. Right now, sinner friend, if you're not saved, Perhaps you raise your hand. Maybe you just couldn't bring yourself to raise your hand. Grab the hand of a loved one, someone here to you. Say, would you, would you come up with me? And I'm going to ask you right now, with his bad eyes closed, and you're not saved, would you come forward right now? Would you step out where you are? And would you come up front? Would you allow us to take the word of God and show you how to be saved? Now is your time. Would you take action upon that? Would you... The Lord said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. If you confess me, I'll confess you. But if you deny me, I'll deny you. So right now, as Miss Mary's playing, would you step out? You're lost. You're not saved. And make that greatest step you've ever made. The wonderful discovery of Christ as your Savior. Right now, would you step out? Would you grab, would you bump somebody and say, hey, let me out. Don't let's see if you're in the middle somewhere. Don't let somebody stop you. Just nudge them. Christians are sensitive to those around them. Realize there may be someone around them under conviction that needs to be saved. 